Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Wow. Faded the wrong way. Faded lower, <laughs> not higher. I'll bring it back up just because then what? Jam into it a little bit oh, yeah, for a second. Getting into it this week. All right, shut up. Music. That's enough. We've had about enough out of you. It's a really talented artist mm. that we got to do that song for us. Yep. Yeah. Guitar player. I just can't pronounce his name. Yeah. It's like. Swami Ramakavanda. There's definitely a Swami in there and a Rama yeah. in there for sure somewhere, but I'm not sure in what order. It's a computer, though. It is a computer. It's an, AI, it's an Indian AI program. It is an Indian computer, yeah. yeah. Good morning, and welcome back <laughs> to another episode of the Two Tons Podcast. A podcast where it's very early, you guys. Uh, daylight savings time. It's not that early. It is daylight savings time today. And Kyle, he, he calls me. I'm a sound asleep. Hold on, I'm going to get to drink a coffee, you guys. Gotta get that slurp in the microphone, man. He, uh, Come on. he calls me. You're missing the chances to trigger people. He calls me, <laughs> and uh, I was asleep, and he's like, hey, man, you gotta let me in your house. It's cold out here, because he's locked out. And I look at my clock, and I, it's like, we should have started the podcast 15 minutes ago, because I keep forgetting that we that we uh, sprung forward, you know? I had no idea. I, I realized um, after I woke up, uh, but I actually thought that we gained an hour, <coughs> you know? It's hilarious to me. Just because I felt so rested, I wasn't even thinking, you know, spring forward, mm. you lose an hour. I just woke up feeling so good, rested, ready to go, ready to come record this podcast. You're well, you asleep. Were, you were hanging out at my house last night uh, a little while, and uh, so I ended up staying up a little bit later than I would have just because, plus uh, uh, the, other, the other household member was out and about, and I kind of wanted to make sure. That she got back safely. So I was up a little bit later than last night, and then I lost an hour of sleep by um, magic, some, some kind, kind of, of trickery. Some kind of trickery from the government. It's, it's got to be the government's fault. Yeah, I'm not a not a huge fan. Of the government or daylight well, savings? Well, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the government. Uh, that goes without saying. But of daylight savings, too, yeah. they. I think it's pretty stupid. If the government is responsible for daylight savings, the government cannot be good. You know, true. That's the worst thing they do. <laughs> like shift to, shift things by an hour. Yeah, it was like pri- like prison camps for the Japanese of the Second World War no, and daylight savings. Those were the two worst things. Yeah, you know, and it's like that's a a, a far back second. You can, know, can you think of a worse thing that the United States is guilty of apart from putting Japanese citizens in prison camps during the Second World War? Like officially on the books? No, like not necessarily. Like we can get wild. I mean. We can get wild, huh? Well, I mean, there's some some reasonable speculation that 
the government was in some way enabling Jeffrey Epstein and his child sex trafficking. That'd be pretty bad. So, you know, what just popped in my head was the one about uh, the one about the government injecting black people with syphilis. Yeah, and then just waiting to see how it was gonna wreck them. Pretty dark. That is terrible. Pretty fucked up. Is that worse than the prison camps though for the Second World War? I don't know. Um, it might be. Yeah, it's up there. It's hard to it's hard to quantify these things, you know. It is, yeah. Like what is, what is worse, you know? How do you Oh, I know what might be worse. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Pretty bad. Pretty bad, especially when you look into you know, less um widely accepted narratives of what was really going on during World War II. When you start looking into that kind of stuff, it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, the stuff they don't tell you. Uh, ba- we had won already. You know, we yeah. didn't need to do it. It's funny, because I, I was thinking that myself. Like, I don't know um, <clears throat> how much... Sorry. I don't know how much, like, uh, <clears throat> time and ammunition and lives that the United States thought they were going to save by dropping bombs like if the alternative meant like a ground invasion maybe maybe we, we made a the right decision um, but if we were basically if the war was basically won at that point and the Japanese were going to surrender anyway uh, it's super fucked up yeah and I don't know what the truth is I don't, I don't know what the truth is but and uh I- I mean, even without the bombs, they they were firebombing cities just with regular bombs before that. They they destroyed a lot of Japan. I mean, you know, I guess they, they asked for it. They did fuck with us for it. That's like one of the ones, you know. It's like, you, there's, although, I mean, Pearl Harbor was a weird thing, too. Like, there's oh, yeah. weird shit with Pearl. Uh, imagine that. You know, just like all of... All of these things throughout American history where they, like, change the course of our, you know, the, the direction of our country, all of them have these weird, like, I don't know, that's weird, you know, uh, like Pearl Harbor, um, I guess they moved a bunch of ships, like, like ships that they didn't want to lose, they, like, moved them out a few days before. Oh, really? There's, like, no way that they didn't know that it was coming. I, I, <clears throat> I never heard that one, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but I did hear that they... That they caught a U-boat. I don't know if U-boat's the right word. That means it was German submarine. They caught a Japanese submarine in some kind of like net. It's a J-boat. It's a J-boat. J-boat. <laughs> uh, I, I guess they had some kind of um, nets that they would use. I don't know what. I don't know, man. I, no, this is just what I heard. And so they caught they, they, with a su- they caught a submarine <laughs> with a net. Yeah, yeah, oh, a crazy. fishing net. Just. <laughs> No, I think it was like a defensive perimeter net designed specifically to keep U-boats or to detect them or something. And uh, so they detected one that was um, in the waters of, you know, American waters, basically. And it was like an hour or something before the attack. So we knew, technically, something was amiss and perhaps could have sounded the alarm an hour before the attack, and it was like a surprise, right? When it actually happened, everyone was surprised. Yeah. But but we but we had evidence an hour beforehand or whatever. Um, you know, Snopes that guys, but you better Snopes that. But I did no. hear that. Don't be a fact checker. Just accept it. That's more fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah. The more you accept our stories, the crazier the stories you're going to get. For sure. Um, I was going to say something. I forget what it was. It slipped my mind. You talked about Epstein, and then we were talking about Pearl Harbor. What other fucked up things? Did you see that list? I, I don't know, man. I say that like it's definitive. <clears throat> I saw a list on Twitter of all the names <laughs> of all the names of uh, people that were associated with uh, having visited Epstein's Island. I don't know if I've seen the most recent list. I, heard, I, th- I think I heard that some stuff got released, but... Yeah, it was a whole bunch of uh, celebs, celebrities, and, basically. Yeah, yeah. only rich people too. But like Madonna was on the list, and you know, does that surprise you? Like knowing Madonna, does that surprise you that Madonna was maybe into some weird shit? That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, it kind of does surprise me because you can see the look on my eyes right now. I'm like a little bit surprised. Right. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I can tell, and it's surprising to me. Yeah. Just thinking about she like she just seems like a fucking creep to me. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine women as predators, sexual predators. Really? Yeah, it's a little hard, a little bit hard for me to imagine. Yeah, I but, mean, I, I know, like statistically, it's more likely to be guys, um, but no, I, it, it for sure happens. It makes, mean, it makes you wonder what possesses look at all these fucking teachers banging banging teenage students. Isn't that interesting? Because when you think about like a guy predator. He's always like fat and old, and he's not the kind of not the kind of guy that a woman is going to want to be with, even if she is, you know, consenting. But when on, but when it's the woman that's the sexual predator, why is she always a hot teacher? She's always a hot teacher. I think it's, I think it says something about the psychology of um, a lot of hot people. You know what I mean? Uh, they're so. Go on. They're so, I mean, you know, they're good looking, so they get attention a lot, and they just fucking need it from everybody, man. Even mm. the the teenage boys in their class. See, that's interesting. I I, I kind of think that like, if you discover, I don't think all hot people are like that. By the way, just to clarify. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Now, if you discover that you have a uh, skill or some some valuable characteristic, yeah, lean into it. Yeah, yeah. You learn to. It becomes like a tool, and so. It's like beautiful women don't pay for drinks at the bar. Why? Because they don't fucking have to. Yeah. You know? And so, but then you start to rely on that. Yeah. And then you like get old and you're not hot anymore. And that's, yeah. that's like a very strange thing. But I, I guess what I want to say though is I think that beautiful women, and, and I guess beautiful men too probably, they, they learn. Beautiful men. They, they learn how to use it, how to manipulate people. You know, they use it as a tool. And um, <clears throat> I don't know where I was going. I lost my thread there. Happens. Oh, oh, it seems like a choice. Like, you're going to choose to manipulate people. It's not like it's not like it just becomes second nature. But maybe it does for people that are like that. Maybe it does become second nature. Yeah. Cause like I'm, taking advantage of people? Yeah. Speci- yeah. Spe- specifically, I don't know, man. Do you think that, like, good-looking people, things generally come easier to them, obviously, m- most of the time? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, on like some level, you know, I think that there's still got to be some level on which things are hard, but yeah, there is. There's got to be some really interesting ways in which be- being beautiful and being rich sucks well, that we just, just like, we just don't understand. It's just the the element of humanity, being a human. Things you know, you suffer in various ways. I'm sure that attractive people suffer too. Mm. Do you remember? Do you remember uh, what's that actress's name? Be beautiful, beautiful lady. She was uh, in Seventh Heaven. What was her name? I uh, don't, Jessica Biel. 
Oh, you remember Jessica Biel? I do remember Jessica, Jessica Biel. Biel. Holy crap, Jessica Biel. Yeah. Um, she, I remember her say one time, don't snub me on this, but I'm pretty sure she said this <laughs> shit, that she was um, typecast out of lots of roles because she was too beautiful. Too good looking. Too beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. You might be too beautiful, Jessica yeah. Biel. I mean, I've had that problem before. Yeah, you know? for sure. It's just like you walk into a room and <laughs> everybody, all the heads whip around. And yeah. It's like, yeah. I know. I know. It's hard. It's a, it's a real problem. Yeah, being, yeah, being beautiful is a real problem. This was... The, I could have I could have gotten away with that before we went over to YouTube when it was just the audio. <laughs> People have no idea, but yeah. alas, the mystery is gone. Yeah. Speaking of mystery, I don't I don't want to necessarily derail this wonderful conversation we're no having, worry. but I wanted to, I was starting to tell you last night whilst you were hanging out, uh, whilst whilst me, me, me thinks you were hanging out, and uh, I just, uh, that's an interesting one. Me thinks. me thinks all one word, no spaces in between. It's a legit spell check's not gonna correct you on that. It's a real thing. Me thinks, yep, Siri's uh, not gonna fuck with you. No, what was I saying? Me thinks, not before that. Um, you were saying mm. last night, last night we were talking about uh, so all right, so over the last few conversations, maybe maybe going back a couple of months now, uh, we've been talking a little bit about Kyle's interest in um getting back into church and not just any church, but Eastern Orthodox Christian church, which is not something that we, we grew up in. It's something that just had an appeal foreign. to you. It is foreign. Is that part of the appeal? Do you think the exoticness of it? Um, don't lie to me, Kyle. I don't really think so because there are, there are elements of it that are foreign that I've kind of experienced with Catholicism a little bit, just like the more, um, I don't want to, I don't, mean this to I feel like this is going to sound insulting in some way and I don't mean it to but I want to say the like the pageantry Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying yep um and just the the more ritualistic uh I think that all of that is like dialed up in orthodoxy but I've I kind of had some experience with it with yeah the limited uh catholic do you think that a catholic would be insulted to hear you describe it as pageantry uh I think that you could say that it's pageantry and be a dick. Like, you could be all the oh, pageantry, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's just not how I mean it. Yeah. But I, it's just like, I couldn't find a better word. Yeah, and I understand. <coughs> if you say that like um, Rachel Maddow, you can tell, like, you're, you're taking Fuck a jab. Rachel Maddow, that dude is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that dude is crazy. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Fuck. Um, oh, uh, so you were talking about orthodoxy. Yeah, I was, ju- I was just saying that... Uh, um, I, I well, I think what I told you last night was that that you take it seriously. So I thought I should I should take it seriously. So I was um, exploring the old YouTubes. Yep. I was watching a whole bunch of videos. Chris is, Chris is blooming in in his YouTube watching. Where he <laughs> started streaming yeah. on YouTube, yeah. and now you're uh, now you're into it. If I'm going to be on YouTube, I might, I might as well watch a one or two videos off the oh, damn yeah, thing. Dude. Um, so anyway, I I, uh, I kind of went all over the place as you do in a in a YouTube, as you do in a YouTube rabbit hole. I uh, I went Rome. I watched the videos about some Gnostic groups like the Manichaeans and the Mandians, and uh, I started getting into Christian mysticism. And specifically, I looked up Theosis and watched some videos about what Theosis is. And for those people who don't know, uh, and I've learned this recently, uh, Theosis is um, a theological concept that's unique to Orthodox Christianity. And it basically says, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, and 
Kyle's probably going to disagree with the meaning, but it seems to mean something like becoming God, right? We can argue about what something that means. Something like that. We can argue about what that means, but yes, something like that. Uh, and they frame it like it is the goal of a spiritual practice. To, to be a Christian means you're aiming at theosis, and that's really fucking interesting to me, man. Mm-hmm. It is different and uh, I think more compelling than any other form of Christianity, than any other, like, end goal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, when you're, it's Protestant, you're at least the way I thought about it back then, I, I assume that there are some Protestants who have a more complex, you know, um, understanding of what comes after life and what, every, you know, the point of everything is. Um, but back when I was a kid, it was just kind of heaven, you know, which is, yep. you know, I don't know, just not the most compelling. That's true. You know? Yeah, I have to say, Theosis is far more compelling than the story that we grew up hearing, yeah. which is basically realize you're a sinner, get saved, spend the rest of your life trying not to fuck up again, and then go to heaven. Yeah. And the Orthodox are like, get baptized, become God. So, you know... <laughs> We were talking about uh, how you liked that uh, guy, E. Michael Jones, saying that Paul went to Ephesus and tried to talk to them and, like, just missed the mark. Yeah, I like that. Uh, And then John realized that and then, um, like, recontextualized Mm -hmm. it in a way that they would be, they were like, oh, I understand what you're talking about. Yes. With the the Logos. Um, Logos, Kyle. Why did I bring that up? (laughs) Uh oh uh so um the heaven the, the story of like going to heaven I mean you know he says the kingdom of heaven like you know that's in the books so they're going to have to try to conceptualize it in some way um but I mean I think that that when they say the kingdom of heaven they're not talking about like that idea that I had of heaven when I was, you know, 10. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking about theosis, you know. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, connecting that to theosis, the kingdom of God, but that's interesting. You know, and like, my point with the the logos thing is like, now I'm like capable of understanding it that way. Mm. You know, I'm capable of conceptualizing, you know, to some degree anyways, theosis. I, I'm not trying to pretend like I understand it at all. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot more studying and, you know, like um, doing, uh, you know. Yeah, you, ha- you have to do, you know, it's you don't just like uh, say, hey, uh, I'm in, you yeah. know, and then you're in. That's not how it works. To my understanding. So I'm going to jump all over the place, but that's another point where orthodoxy and Jordan Peterson have a crossover, which I think is really interesting, where the orthodox faith t- talks about human beings participating in the energies of God. Yeah. And that means it requires that you act them out in the world. So it's like you have this uh, you have this lure, you have this instinct, but it's not real unless you embody it. You act it out in the world. And so if you want to if you if God is love, you have to actually love people. Mm-hmm. That's how love exists through your actions. It's beautiful. But Jordan Peterson says exactly the same thing. He says that your ideals can be seen in your behavior, that you act out your ideals. And uh, if you want to know what somebody thinks, don't don't bother listening to them. Watch them. See how they act. 
because they're going to act out what they actually believe. They might tell you something very different, but their behavior is going to tell you, show you what they actually believe. And so there's this connection there between Jordan Peterson talking about embodying um, and the Orthodox Church talking about embodying energies. It's very similar, man. Yeah. And I wanted to say, <clears throat> for, to put some context, if any, this makes any, any sense to anybody, the difference between most Catholic church, most Christian churches talking about heaven as the goal of spirituality, and the Orthodox talking about theosis, it's kind of like the way Buddhists have nirvana. Nirvana is a state of being that you can achieve through the right types of discipline and spiritual practice. It's something like that that the Orthodox are saying theosis is. It's a state of being that you can that you can achieve through the right yeah. state of mind. So you know. The idea that, like, um, you know, there's, like, the perennial philosophy yes. that it's just, like, uh, these ideas keep recurring over and over. Um, something that I've heard people say that I I think back in the day, you know, a few years ago, I'm, I probably would have been offended at this idea. It's like, you know, you're being judgmental, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's like... Um, I, it's hard to describe. Mm. I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Man. Ah, well, it'll come back to you. Yeah. Um, nah. Yeah, sorry. No, you're good, man. So Nirvana and Theosis. So something like that. Oh, it's coming back to you? Is it coming back to you? Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's starting to, but I can't. Okay. I can't grasp it. It's good. Whatever it is, it's gone. Well, so I was just trying to put context around what, you know, trying to make sense of what theosis means, and it does. It is a far more compelling uh, narrative, and I think there's a. It's a in the perennial philosophy that 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 you were talking about links yeah, yeah. links back to that. Not just this idea of like a nirvana the theosis type thing. If I can respectfully categorize those things together, but it also has to do with that mystical oneness. That shit is all over orthodoxy. Yeah. And that's really surprising to me and really interesting to me. The idea of God being one and that being very important and that idea showing up in the early church fathers. I was surprised about that. And <clears throat> there's a, a quote from uh, from Psalms, I think. Psalms? I think it's Psalms. Where, no, no, this is... Anyway, I'll just tell you the quote from the Bible. It says, it, maybe it was in Acts... It says, I don't know, man. <laughs> it says, God, God, hold on, I'll, uh, rather than misquote this, let me just pull it up. Got it in word. Yeah, this is the new, this is the new episode I've got coming up right here, Theosis. So I got the quotes in here. Here it is. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, this, here it goes. Um, it says, they should seek the Lord, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. In God, we live and move and have our being. I thought that was pretty amazing. But some of these early church fathers, they're up at the top right here. Yeah. So you've got, uh, yeah, fathers. Yeah, St. Anthony of Egypt. He who knows himself knows God. Yeah. And Athanasius, God became human so that we might become God. And I like the, that name, Athanasius. Athanasius is cool. It's a good one, man. Clement of Alexandria, when you see your brother or sister, you see God. 
So this this whole thing here is going to be about an exploration of theosis in in basically relating what we mean when we say Jesus was God to what what we mean when we say we can become God through theosis. Yeah. So I'm very very that's the I'm very interested in this. So what I was trying to say earlier, I yes. just like have a, I just have like a hard time putting it into context. I, I it it's just that like orthodoxy has this idea that there are you can find those truths the the, the truth that that runs through the perennial philosophy mm. you know like yeah they were getting at something but they didn't quite develop it all the way or you know they're missing the mark somehow yeah um and that is i just think that um as far as religions and worldviews i Orthodox Christianity, it's like the most complete one that I've seen, um, like, especially as far as Christianity goes. Like, it's got, like, all these elements that I needed it to have that it never had for me before. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but... So, yeah, it's like, uh, I, I just couldn't get that thought out is it you know yeah. i don't know i was really struggling no with it's that. okay do, do you can you think of particular examples of where uh like protestant christianity fell short for you where you were like it's missing something you didn't realize it until you saw it somewhere else yeah i mean y you know the person who got me interested in like even considering the bible again was jordan peterson and he gave me this aspect of not reading it literally, which is the, the way that I read the Bible, yes. um, you know, what, you know, before back in the day, that's how, that's just how I was taught to read the Bible. All, all that, that's exactly how it happened, yep. you know? Um, and now I just have like a much more, I have a weirder view and understanding of what happened in the Bible, the things that happened in the Bible. Yeah. I think that they both like, did happen that way and didn't happen that way, you know? Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Well, I think Jordan Peterson helps you understand how there's ways in which that can be true. Both can be true. Yeah. You know? Yep. And I agree with you. Jordan so Peterson did that to me, too. Orthodoxy has that element, like, you know, um, the, the, the I don't know, psychological uh, element to it. And they also have, like, a, a deep... Like philosophical tradition too, with the, all the church fathers. I yep. mean, the, these these saints and people are basically philosophers. I yeah. mean, you know. Oh yeah. They're like fleshing out the ideas in the Bible um, because you know a big mess with Protestantism is that you have every Tom, Dick, and Harry reading the Bible, interpreting it however they want to, and. I think that the lineage of the Orthodox Church uh, in the interpretations of the Bible, I think that that's, that's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I got mixed feelings about it, but I 100% agree that, uh, like, it's so funny, man. This, like, radical individualist side of me wants to agree, just theoretically, yeah. that everybody having access to the Bible and having their own opinions of the Bible is a net positive. You know, because... You should have the freedom to interpret it on your own. See, we should that, benefit from all the different opinions, you know? Yeah, yeah. See, that is, last night I had brought up a podcast that I listened to with that guy, Matt Erickson, mm -hmm. and uh, another guy named Adam Patrick. And they talk about, and I was talking to you about this last night, uh, it's the word phronema. 
And it basically, the best translation that I can give for you is worldview. And uh, the Eastern worldview, that idea of the individual, it's not a thing. It's not like as strong as it is in, in the West. So that contributes to the faith. It's, it absolutely does, man. That's an interesting thing. Because you see, there's lots of overlap with orthodoxy that you, I see with like Eastern types of ways of thinking that you don't see in Catholicism. Mm. And we talked about that apophatic thing, that trying to understand God by what he isn't. That's a very Eastern thing. Um, there's a lot of this Eastern stuff that it, it, orthodoxy seems to be sympathetic to that you just don't see. I did not see in Christianity ever. And it's interesting to me, man. You know, this whole Logos idea is also very interesting because that's big in, in orthodoxy, understanding Logos. We, in, in our Bible, we call that word, and you never yeah. hear the word logo, Logos. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that word? mean? It doesn't matter. Just it's, it's, It means word. Keep reading. Yeah. You know? God is with, like, you know how text flies across screens? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just like God with a word, the, just like flying through nothing over the waters. Yeah. What does it mean? What does it all mean, Basil? So this is interesting. So <clears throat> so Logos, this idea of Logos ties in with this uh, philosophical tradition that you're talking about. Yeah. And David Patrick Harry, who you introduced me to, talks about um, the history of the idea of Logos and it's pretty interesting. One of the things that was surprising to me that I really want to like figure out where the sources are and read it myself because it's really fascinating to me. He said that um, Heraclitus, this you know, ancient pre-Socratic philosopher, one of the OG thinkers of the Western world, he said that the Logos is that which unites opposites. Mm. And the hair stands up on my arms. I'm like, what? Yeah. Because it's more than that. But that was one of the first things that he described, Heraclitus described it, the Logos to be. And the Logos beyond that is the principle of order. It's the divine order of nature. The, the thing that patterns the world, the thing that patterns our experience and makes order out of chaos. All that Petersonian shit that I just said. Uh, but that's that's what struck me, is because Jordan Peterson, in his book Maps of Meaning, talks about our earliest myths and what the symbolism is in the myths, and I fucking eat that shit up. I love that shit. I'm like, Dan Brown me, Jordan, Dan Brown me. Yeah. And... Um, uh, that's what he says when he tells the story of um, the Sumerian creation story with the ancient, the primordial god and goddess, Tiamat and Apsu, and their opposites. Tiamat is the feminine, Apsu is the masculine, Tiamat is the salt water, Apsu is the fresh water. But they're in union in this cosmic egg, and that's what's there in the beginning, the round, the round chaos, the thing that we... that. The thing that we reference when we're talking, we talk about the yin and the yang, or or you know the Ouroboros. That's the, that's the word Jordan Peterson will use. The serpent swallowing its tail. That's that symbol. It's a symbol of the self-created, the unborn. You know, it's it's that that kind of shit. And he says that that Ouroboros symbol is the union of opposites. And what does that mean? Because when you take a positive and a negative and you put it together, what do you have? It seems like you have nothing, but no, not to Jordan Peterson. You've got something there that's like potential. You've got something there that's God, and it's hard to understand. But whatever it is, it unifies opposites. It's the thing that you get when opposites are in union. And and Jordan uses the symbol, and I've talked about this before, of the masculine and the feminine coming together. Look, It looks like a sexual act. The masculine and feminine come together, if you know what I mean, sir. 
I do. And there's all kinds of slapping noises and, you know. Yep. Uh, anyway, <laughs> when that happens, what happens? It's a, it's a creative act, isn't it? Yeah. And this is what happens in the symbol of the Ouroboros. And then you got Heraclitus coming around and saying the Logos, that's the thing that unifies opposites. That's the thing that was there in the beginning. That's God. And the fucking hair stands up on my arms. And I'm like, that is, there's something to that that's deeply significant, man. And that's not present in the church we grew up in or any church I've ever been to. Not present. Yep. Why? Why would you leave that out? Um, I don't know. I, I think it's misinterpretations of, uh, I think it's, like I said, that you have these people who have no, they're just reading the Bible. They're just like a, a regular dude reading the Bible. You're going to, you can interpret it a million different ways, you know? Um, and I just think it leads to a bunch of crazy shit, basically. So are you elitist then, Kyle? You want to have a priestly class? Um, you want to have somebody that yeah, controls I, our access to information, to spiritual information? Uh, I mean, I don't... Like, the Bible and the the church fathers are there for you to read, you know? Like, you can still... It's not... It's not um, what... I don't know. I don't, how is that controlled? Um, well, you know, this this analogy is like exactly like uh, Plato's philosopher king analogy. It's like if you can have somebody who's an authority authority on the the meaning of the Bible and can help you interpret it in you know like the best possible way, and has your best interest at heart, and is open minded about spirituality, and all everything lines up perfectly. That guy controlling access to the scripture and, and its interpretation will be awesome. But as soon as that guy is an asshole, as soon as that guy you know isn't isn't perfect, as soon as that guy you know wants to manipulate you or doesn't quite know his shit, is it had a bad day? Yeah, but then the, it becomes an obstacle. But the church is more than one person. I yeah. mean, you know, it's. Uh, that's one big benefit that I see for orthodoxy in contrast to Catholicism. You know, it's like you got one guy who's basically calling. I mean, you know, there's I guess there's some level of checks and balances, too. But I mean, he's like the, the vicar of Christ or whatever. He's like, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and I think the Pope thing, um, the the way that he acts with like complete authority, I think. The, a lot of Orthodox people say that that comes from like a mistranslation of Scripture, like probably a deliberate one, um, but you know maybe not. I yeah. Don't know. Do you remember when we talked about Dan Brown earlier? Um, this might be just my misinterpretation, but you remember when Dan Brown was talking about Peter, you know Petros, Peter being the rock that the church was built upon, and the, and the Scripture makes it out that play on, exactly that play on words. Peter is the rock, and his name means rock, and we're going to build the church on it. He's the cornerstone, the foundation. He's the guy, and that gives that gives Peter the authority that no none of the other you know characters had. It gives him special authority, and there's people that say um, that's not a legitimate interpretation, or that that even the this is the rock that the church was built on. Even that uh, passage was. Not authentic, you know. Like, like it seemed like Dan Brown was playing with the idea that maybe, maybe that is is, you know, what the what the Catholics have been resting their authority on all this time is is not Some true. Misinterpretation. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, I mean, so I know that in church history you had, you know, 
Christianity obviously started in Israel and then started spreading. And uh, eventually it had spread pretty far, you know, and you had uh, like, I don't know, like five, six, you know, um, big city centers that, that had big populations of Christians. And all of those places had like a patriarch. They all had like their own pope. Um, at one point and then things happened uh, Muslim invasions you know then there's not really that many Christians and, and eventually it got down to where it was just Rome and Constantinople um, and yeah I, I don't know I think um, it was pro- it, it obviously had something to do with po- uh, political you know things on some level you know the Pope started uh, Rome had a lot of power and they did have like uh, they do have like a I guess an honor like an honored place in the church. Uh, they're considered like the first among equals. Uh, that's what the Orthodox considered them up until the schism. You know, like you're a patriarch, we're a patriarch, and you do have an honored place, but you can't. You're not like telling us what to do. You know, like yeah. you can't. Especially, you can't tell us to violate the faith. You know, you're not. You don't. You're not the boss. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's interesting, it's especially because I don't know which. Ortho, I know there's like different Orthodox churches, and I don't know all the details, <clears throat> but certain of the of the Orthodox churches um, are given special permission by the Catholic Church to partake in communion in Catholic Church. Yeah, I think I heard that uh, the Greek, the Greeks will are allowed to. Yeah, um, <laughs> isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, you guys are close enough. You can have our crackers and juice. Yeah. You, can, you can share our crackers and juice. And it's not even... See, that's how fucking Protestant I am. I just said crackers and juice. Crackers and juice, man. <laughs> um, I know that in Catholicism and Protestant religion, um, they use the unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. In Orthodox, they use uh, one that is, you know, risen with yeast. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those interesting differences like transubstantiation and consubstantiation or like being baptized by submersion versus uh, sprinkling. It's like so church, whole branches of Christianity split off on those things. Yeah. So what happened What happened here? Uh, say it again. What was the example you just brought up? I don't even know what you're talking about. God damn it. <clears throat> this is the problem of starting the podcast on Daylight Savings Time when I haven't... Example of what I was talking... What? 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 Oh, about about some small difference in uh, in uh, oh the bread oh the bread excuse yeah. me yeah so yeah, yeah. do you know the re- like the reason no for- I have no okay. idea no, yeah. I have no idea wouldn't um, that wouldn't that be funny if that's what split the Orthodox Church yeah, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire yeah I think <clears throat> I don't remember specifically but I think the Great Schism might have had to do with the Nicene Creed and. You asked on Twitter the other day if uh, the Holy Spirit was God's essence or uh, whether it was one of his energies. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all of the same essence. One essence, three persons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean... So you think that it's the the essence? I think... What may have been the, the the thing that caused the schism was uh, a reinterpretation of that. Like they amended mm-hmm. the Nicene Creed to say that the the Holy Spirit emanated from the Father and the Son. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it only emanates from the the Father, according to or I think I, I think that's right. So I I asked that question on Twitter for a reason. Yeah, I figured I figured you weren't just. 
it's a, it goes something like this. When the Orthodox talk about theosis, when they talk about becoming God, what they say is that we that human beings can participate in God's energies, like we talked about love and compassion, those kind of things. And when we're acting that way, we're acting as God on earth, something like that. And that, that can be, um, presumably, you get better and better at that, and yeah. you get higher and higher uh, spiritually elevated in doing that to some some point that becomes some kind of enlightenment, some kind of nirvana type experience is the way it kind of seems to be. Um, so, but, but they're really strict about this idea that you don't actually, you don't actually become God. You, you participate in God, you know, in a way that's different than, or, than an ordinary, you know, ordinary existence. And okay, maybe that's interesting. Um, but the, the idea is you, you, you don't share in the essence of God because you aren't God you know, the father kind of thing. And I understand, I understand that. Um, but if the spirit that was on the face of the waters in the book of Genesis, if the spirit of God, if that is the, the logos, if that is the Holy Spirit, as according to, you know, orthodox dogma, if that's I think the... in orthodox dogma, the logos is specifically Christ. Okay. Um. Okay, so let me just let me just get this out here. If the spirit of God is the essence of God, I think the Bible tells a story about the 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 breath of God, the spirit of God being breathed into Adam, becoming Adam's own soul. The spirit of God becomes the spirit of man. And that's the essence of God, not the energies because that's the holy spirit. And if that's the case, then Every human being is the essence of God, and that's the argument that I want to make, that I will be making when I do my at my next episode on this. Um, and I just wonder how an Orthodox person would engage with that idea. Um, I'm stretching a little bit when I say that the Spirit of God that was there in the beginning is the breath that's breathed from God into Adam, into the clay form of Adam that makes Adam alive. But I think it, an argument can be made that's the case. Then you skip forward to John, and you talk about the Word... In, in in the flesh being Jesus, and I don't see it. I don't see a distinction between between what animates a human being, the soul of God, and what Jesus represents, the soul of God, the Spirit of God. I don't see a difference. So I, I want to argue that way, but I just again very curious what an Orthodox person would say to that idea. Yeah, I don't. I, I wish that I was more informed. Uh, you know, more my understanding of things was better, so that I could. Uh, you know speak with any kind of authority um but i do have a gift for you that might might help with that oh shit uh here's the here you go oh shit <laughs> oh shit sorry about that Knocking the whole oh it's, it feels like a book it what feels we, like a book what do we got here oh shit this is dope man Orthodox Study Bible. It's a good one. Man. Very cool, man. It's the same one that I got. Oh, God bless you, man. That's awesome. It's good. It's you know the Orthodox, the official Orthodox translation. It's got the uh, an- it's got a lot of annotations from the Church Fathers down at the bottom of the uh, page. That's a good inter- one. That's interesting. Yep, that is interesting. I read it every day. Thanks, man. That's yep. pretty cool. Kyle's trying to convert me over here. I am too. <laughs> no, no, I just want to. I mean, if you're interested, I had actually bought that before. You, you told me that you were interested yesterday, so oh. I was like, all oh, right. Very all cool. Right. Yeah. So you've got the exact same one, huh? Same one, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I would be interested. Like, there's certain passages that I uh, think are really weird and interesting um, that are Greek or Hebrew. And 
when you read like King James, which is what I'm accustomed to doing, you never know what those words mean. Like like logos is a good example. I would never even have heard it, and I don't know. I would never know that that in John when it says in the beginning was the word that that means anything more than a spoken word mm-hmm. I would never have any way of, of understanding that maybe that means something more yeah I guess like you know in Protestantism specifically there's um, big emphasis put on the Bible you know it's uh, sola scriptura it's like that's mm-hmm. all you need is the yeah. word you know uh, so I don't know if they imagine that like that the, the Bible always existed it, that's the word to them um, See, just like, a, how, how do they conceptualize the word? Yeah. What does that mean? So this is a, I don't mean to derail, but there's a show that I brought up, a mini series that I brought up based on a book many times. It's called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. You remember me bringing this up? Yeah. It's about wizards like in the Napoleonic Europe. And they bring back magic that's been extinct forever. And it's, it's an interesting story, but there's a character in the story. His name is Vinculus. Vinculus. Vinculus is a street magician he's like a vagrant he's a vagabond he's a beggar basically and he lives on the streets and he begs for money and he tells people their fortunes and he sells people uh you know like spells and shit but he can't really do any magic he's a he's a, he's a vagabond he's just a this is what he does this is his game but really really he is kind of like a, uh he really is kind of like a magical person and it's sort of hidden even from himself but over the course of the story, you find out the reason is that his father had a book of magic, a very ancient, rare book. It was written by the Raven King. And the Raven King is like the OG wizard from way back when. It's like Godric Gryffindor. And nobody else has this book. And he, he gambles the book away, I think, the father. And uh, he gets, I don't remember the details, he, he gets cursed, basically. And I think he ends up eating the book. He eats it, maybe like on a dare, I don't remember. But when, he, but when Vinculus is born, after this happens, the words of the book are all tattooed all over the baby. So he ate the book, his dad ate the book. And when he had the son later on, the words of the book were all over the body of the kid. And so when Vinculus grows up, he's just covered in tattoos of magical script, you know? And when we say the word made flesh, this is the image that pops in my head. Like Jesus Christ covered up. in the Bible. Just a tatted up baby. Just a tatted up baby Jesus. Yeah. And you Got need, like praying hands. You, you need all the real estate, which means face tattoos too. You, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot. a lot of Bible to tattoo. Oh, God. Yeah. On you, you know. It's going to have to be some small print if you're a baby too. Yeah. Not a lot of surface area. I wonder now. I wonder if the if the word made flesh, if that like biblical imagery was intended by the author. Now I wonder. A tatted up baby. <laughs> you know, Vin- Vinculus was the was the book made flesh, and I wonder if that oh, idea oh, it was ca- calling back to the mm-hmm. Bible. I wonder. Maybe Susanna, Susanna Clark is that her? Susanna I think Clark? I have a. I yeah. think I have that on Audible. I haven't listened to it though. You should listen to it, man. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I don't I don't read a lot of fiction, but I love Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's fucking good, man. Yeah, you always spoke highly of it, which is why I have it. It's like Harry Potter for grownups, and it's a little it's it's a little bit dry, you know. Yeah, it's very British. Yep. So you gotta you know if you like the British, you'll love it. I do like I, I like some British stuff. I, I specifically like a show. I think it's from like the seventies called Are You Being Served? Which is a great show. Yeah. For anybody, it's probably on YouTube. Is it? Con- Comedy? Yeah, it's oh. a comedy about uh, a bunch of people who work in a department store. Interesting. A haberdashery. Oh, 
So are you being served as like, how can I help you in, yeah. in, in Great Britain? Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Dude, this is a really nice gift, man. I've, I'm very, I'm very uh, grateful. Thank yeah, you, man. A, uh, very there's cool. a cover for it. It just looks better without it, so I figured I'd give it to you that way. That's cool, man. I do, I do like that. So, uh, so one of the other things that I wanted to talk oh, to you about. Oh, you Go should ahead. flip through it. There's oh. a bunch of. Um, it's got what? Are, what are they called? I'm the word slipping. Oh shit! The icons. That is cool, man. It yeah. sure does. Yeah, it's got. It's a good looking Bible. Oh oh oh! There we go. Can't get it in there. Yeah, icons, cool, very cool. Yeah, man. I'm sorry. What were you saying? You was something you wanted to talk about? Uh, oh, I was just gonna talk about Christian mystics. Mystics. So as I as I've been getting into this Orthodox stuff and the logo stuff, and just trying to get on the same page as Kyle, um, so we can talk about something that you're interested in. Uh, I came across a lot of interesting characters from Christianity that I n- never heard of, or I didn't spend any time like getting familiar with. Like we just talked about some of them, you know. Um, Clement and, and Athanasius and Arrhenius and all kinds of names that I've heard but never really paid any attention to. Uh, and some of these people are very mystical, and they have, like I, some of those quotes I read, they have a lot of quotes that, that are so much more up my alley that I never would have expected from the mouth of a Christian, specifically a Christian. I never would, because we're so hung up in this country from this old Purit- Puritan re- religious style that, that poo-poo's drugs and anything taboo. And uh, because this type of like stuff is so linked to psychedelic experience, uh, it's hard to imagine uh, a Puritan group ever coming up with them. And that's what happened. You know, you don't ever hear that shit here. But then you, but then I, I listened to somebody like Meister Eckhart, who wasn't an early church father. He was like in the uh, Middle Ages, like late Middle Ages or whatever. But, uh, but he wrote all kinds of sermons and was hugely popular and he taught he taught he had like some high teaching post in the Catholic Church and was very respected and at the end of his life at the very end of his life the Catholic Church was like you, you know you're pretty you're you're kind of you're too, a little bit too blasphemous to live so they put him they put him on trial and we were going to have him killed and he died before before you know the trial was over which is very sad but up until that point he was like a very highly respected um, teacher and and theologian and that dude is so mystical. That dude says this kind of shit that I say from psychedelic in, in, insight, and he says it from spiritual insight. He says it from, I don't know. I don't know what the origin, uh, I would love to know what the origin of Meister Eckhart's mystical in, you know, thoughts, ideas come from, because I don't think that guy was doing drugs. I think the early Christians were doing drugs, but I don't think Meister Eckhart was doing drugs. Maybe he was, I don't know. You think you think people like like Nostradamus and like those sorts of people were doing psychedelics? I don't know. Um, that would be a question for uh, David Patrick Harry. I, I I mean, you know, he specifically got into orthodoxy studying. So I wonder if you found any evidence of psychedelic, you know, in early Orthodox Church. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I, I this is something that I've we've talked about on here that I've been feeling for a long time is that I don't think you're going to get the fullness of the message through just the psychedelics. Um, but there's no denying that it like, if you're not thinking about it and you have a good mushroom trip, you might start thinking about it, you know, it can change the way that you see the world. That's what it does. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. 
but change, and changing the way you see the world can can be a catalyst for spirituality. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it's not difficult. Yeah, I was like, I don't know, man. I did have some like the earlier mushroom trips that I had. Maybe they didn't like blast me off uh, completely, but I feel like they did. Maybe start. I took the I took them with the intention of having that happen. I just didn't take enough, so I didn't, you know. Yep. Um, but then, like, well, I just didn't know, you know. Um, but then later in life, when I, I, you know, got my hands on some LSD and things like that, um, I had I did the damn thing. I had the experience. Bought the ticket, <clears throat> took the ride. Yeah. So have you have you? I know you must have you must have seen uh, or at least heard about. Those like uh, frescoes in, in uh, France, I think they are. These like you know, not particularly early, but but early Christian uh, art that shows like you know um, Adam and Eve in the garden and the trees and mushrooms, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know, there's different images of Jesus with mushrooms. There's some evidence that that up up until let's say like maybe even in the Middle Ages, um, there might have been some psychedelic use associated with Christianity. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that. I but what mm-hmm. I mean uh, that I would like to ask David Patrick Harry is like in your readings of the Church Fathers, did you find anything that even maybe not explicitly is like I took you know five dried grams of mushrooms, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but uh, like is there anything in there that might lead you to believe that aside from the mystic stuff because the mystic stuff could be arrived at through other means. Yeah. 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 The only, the only thing that, and this isn't going to be news to you, but the only thing that comes to my mind is that the tradition and David Patrick Harry studied this. He studied esotericism and mysticism and shamanism. So, you know, like the mystery religions and all that stuff. He, he knows about that stuff. Um, there's a psychedelic tradition from Eleusis there that goes back all the way to ancient, to the, you know, pre-Socratic Greece where like people like Socrates and Plato were believed to have partaken in the Eleusinian mysteries, where they almost certainly did psychedelics. Those were the guys that first came up with the idea of logos, which I want to start logos. saying logos now because it does seem like the right way of pronouncing it. Yeah, if you're one of those people who like, uh, I mean, I am an annoying person. I fully am aware of that, but like, I don't say Macedonia generally. I say Macedonia. <laughs> Just I'm a dick. I'm yeah. a pretentious asshole. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I like to say things the way. Um, that, that the people say them there, you know, like, you know, the, a few, a little while ago, there was a big deal about, uh, I think it was during the soccer thingy, um, Iran, people were like, I were, you know, and they're oh, like, it's Iran. Iran. Uh, and you know, that's how I say it. Would you rather visit, if you could go on vacation, would, a you, lot ra- of the time. would you rather visit Cuba or Mexico? I would most likely go to Cuba. Yeah, the answer is Cuba, but I just, just wanted to say Cuba and Mexi- yeah. Mexico. Why would you... Uh, just, like, wanting the actual logic behind that answer. Oh. It would just be more interesting to go to Cuba. Well, there's really two things that come to my mind. First thing is, <clears throat> just I just hear way too much shit about Mexico being dangerous to tourists. I mean, I would assume that Cuba's probably dangerous, yeah, too. I just haven't heard so much about I it. Guess, I guess other, that's true. The other thing about Cuba is that it's kind of, like, locked in time. Yeah. It's like if you ever go to, like... There's a place called Mackinac Island, which is, uh, I, can't, I don't know if it's in, I think it's in Michigan, but right before you get to Canada, and you go onto this island, and, they, and the island doesn't allow cars. So when you go there, it's like it's like a place locked in time. All the houses have stables for horses, and if you want to get around, 
that's what you fucking have. Horse. Horses or uh, or they may, maybe they have like like golf, golf carts, carts and shit that they drive around. I, I don't think they should <clears throat> let that. I don't. No golf carts. You got to fucking walk. You got you to <laughs> shovel horse shit. Yeah, dude. Uh, but it's something like that. Like, a, like the Cuba seems like it's just locked in the fifties. You know, all the cars are from the fifties. Um, it just seems like a like you're going back in time. You know. I know that the means that brought them to that situation where they have to have like old cars and fix them continually. I know that the means that got them there are not great, but I do like the end goal. You know, or the the. I like some certain things about the end. Like, I like the idea of having a car forever. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, it's pretty neat, man. Yeah. I, I, I've said before, but I've got a preference, strong preference now of quality over quantity. When I was younger, it was much more about quantity. Now I'm like way, way shifting in the other direction. So if I'm going to buy like a like a shirt, you know, like I, I, I'm i going to have this shirt for the rest of my life, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't need a variety. You know. I don't need. I don't need. I don't need one in every color. Just give me a good. A good shirt. You yeah. Know? I think that there's something to. I, I wish that I could convince myself to go through with just having like an outfit. You know, like uh, the same thing all the time. You know. Like, like Homer Simpson. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but like Steve Jobs, I, I mean, I don't want Steve Jobs' outfit. I, the black turtleneck and the jeans, that's not my look. <laughs> but uh, I do like that, the idea of just like, I've got this thing, I'm, I'm comfortable in it every yeah. day. Just I don't think about it at yeah. all. Yeah, can you imagine being so busy and so productive that you're like, look, I can't I can't be choosing my clothes every day. Yeah. I just, it has to be ready when I get up. Yeah, I, and that is not it for me. Like, I've got plenty of time to plan my outfits out, but uh, I just don't want to. Listen, man, I, I think people have to do some artistic things, and if you don't, even little artistic things, I think people kind of, I think it's like a necessity, like like Creating. oxygen. Yeah, and so picking out your outfit, for, for me, like that's <gasps> a tiny little artistic choice because I have... You know, lots of different combinations, but I yeah. get to I get to select the combinations. I get like, uh, um, do you ever see those? <laughs> you ever see the? I know you have, but the uh, Sherlock Holmes movies with uh, with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I fucking love them. By the way, you know how like when Robert Downey Jr. is getting ready to fuck somebody up, it like freeze frames and time slows down, and it's like yeah. lights up every area that it's, and how it's going to happen. Um, I was going to make that analogy for whatever whatever it was I was just talking about, but I forgot what I was talking about. Damn, what was I talking about before this? Ah, shit. I don't remember. Fuck. My fault, guys. You get, you get on these tears. I do. I do. It's early, too. It for is you. early. Yep. I don't have any excuse. I'm just, like, not thinking fast enough. Yeah. So. I, you know, I've always been a talk, fast talker when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Very, very fast talker. I've gotten better about it, but I'm still, I can still get going. Dude, you, your voice when you got older, like deepened, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, when you were young, you were, you were a little, you were kind of Shapiro-esque, you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Alvin, like, uh, not Alvin and the Chipmunks, well, yeah, kind of like Alvin and the Chipmunks, but Shapiro, yeah, that, that's a good comparison. Yeah. But it used to be that my brain would keep up with my mouth. Sometimes my brain would even get ahead of it. But as I get older, man, the brain slows down. The mouth just ke- keeps going, so you I run into obstacles sometimes. True, so the brain's trying to brain's trying to keep up, especially when you are stupid and talk <laughs> on a you know you go on the internet and talk in front of people. Yeah, because you're like I said, stupid. Yeah, 
Thanks, That's buddy. That's me. No, not you. Oh. Me. I'm talking about me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. Um. Oh yeah, there's a couple things. I don't. I don't really know. Like, this isn't gonna like flow in any particular way, but there's a couple things that I wrote down recently that I can bring up to you. Um, I did a couple episodes of the podcast um, recently. One of them was called uh, "Nothing Matters" with Michio Kaku, and the one before that was "Nothing Matters" with Alan Watts. Alan Watts. So I'm actually reading Alan Watts' book now, and I have a quote in here that's really interesting. This book I want to talk about. It's interesting, but um, I came across this. Julius Cosmology. Yes, that was a recommendation from a Twitter Twitter friend. Um, uh, so anyway, I didn't have this piece of information when I did those Nothing Matters episodes, but then I came across it, and I'm like, fuck, I wish I would have known this. I could have put it in. So I like to talk about physics and shit I don't really understand, you know? I just understand it enough that I find it interesting and I want to talk about it, but I'm not like, I'm, I, I'm not an expert, you know, I don't know the fucking math, and so I don't really know what I'm talking about. But every now and then that shit will come up that just, I just have to talk about it even though I'm, it's, I'm out of school. So... I came across this thing. It's called the Wheeler-DeWitt equation. The Wheeler, Wheeler is John Wheeler, and DeWitt is Michael De, DeWitt. DeWitt, I don't know, um, but but really famous uh, physicist. And this formula pr- proves that the net energy in the cosmos is zero. Okay. The net energy. The net energy in the cosmos is zero. Okay. So. Again, this is where I'm going to be stepping in over my head, and this is all probably nonsense, but basically what that means is there is no energy in the universe. Or it means that, like, there's an equal amount of, like, positive and negative. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... Yeah, yep. So there is energy, but at the end of the day, it's just all canceled out. Correct, correct. So there's a way in... There's a way that you can see it as though there is no energy in the universe. It's, It's this very strange thing. It's like you have nothing... But when you split it into two, negative and positive, then you have something. As soon as they come together, got nothing again. Zero net energy. It's fucking fascinating. So there's this idea of zero net energy. Um, Where's it going with this? Damn it, I had some... Zero net energy. Well, it's related to these ideas I talked about on this podcast because there's this, there's this thing called zero-point energy yeah. and the idea that... Uh, um, even at the lowest, like at, at you know, at the lowest possible energy levels, there's always a little bit of vibration in the quantum field. You can't get rid of it, so there is no such thing as nothing. Basically, was the whole point of that. Um, but anyway, this whole Wheeler DeWitt thing blew my mind. That uh, that there's a re- a real way of looking at the co- uh, at material reality as an illusion. That that. Oh, I know what I was going to say. The net energy is zero, and if we remember Einstein telling us that energy and matter are the same thing, <laughs> E equals mc squared. So energy can become matter, and matter can become energy. That's what an atomic bomb is, right? When ma- when you take matter and you and you turn it back into raw energy, boom! You know, energy and matter are the same thing, and the net energy in the cosmos is zero. That means that the net matter in the cosmos is zero, <laughs> doesn't it? We live in the matrix. We dude. live in the fucking matrix. I just think that's really interesting. It's like, what does that mean? There's no matter and energy in in some real way. And there's something that happens that separates the nothingness from itself, and that that results in the co- the material cosmos and the laws of physics. It's fucking mind-blowing. 
So I wish I could have included that in those Nothing Matters episodes. Well, addendum. <laughs> um, you can always make a third. Just going to be about the Wheeler-DeWitt equation. Yeah. It's going to be a very short episode. About 15 minutes. I, you know, sometimes I think, um, especially now that we're doing stuff on YouTube, that might that that's a good, interesting, like, 15-minute video. Right. Especially if you can, like, manipulate the screen. You know, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you can, like, put things up. And, yeah, 100%. Uh, which you could figure out. I then. could figure it out for sure. Yeah. So you got no other thoughts on that, uh, that the net energy in the cosmos is zero? It's um, one of those mysteries, man. Yeah, I don't... Something about the idea of reality being illusory, like, doesn't... I don't like it. Um, but another part of me thinks that there may be some level of truth to it, you know? I, I don't know. No, I, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I can't deny my own reality. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I think that there's there's a there's a a paradox there, man. And it you can either write them off when you bump into a paradox, you can either write this is an unsolvable problem and you know, do you, why am I wasting my time thinking about that? Or when you see it bump into a paradox, you can just say, you know, what what the fuck is going on here? Let's don't let's you know, dive into this thing. Let's figure this thing this thing out. I'm more of a I'm more of the latter type of person. Yeah. Not that I ever figure anything out, but I like trying. It's fun. Yep. Um, I I used to feel more like that. I, I'm still not like 100% opposed to figuring it out. Um, but I do think I've become more and more interested in like the practical, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. That's just the best way to just the practice, like the, the putting into action, you know? Yeah. Uh, and the meaning of, I guess, how you should behave in the world to some degree. Um, but also, I, I do, the spiritual element comes in into like why you are doing that, you know? That's, um, so it's not like, compl- there's, we talked earlier about Jordan Peterson being the person who like kind of made the ideas of the Bible interesting him, but Jordan Peterson, I do think, comes to it from um, too much of a pragmatic, you know, um, approach. Yeah, uh, and I know that's just his. Uh, my approach is not like strictly pragmatic. You know, um, I think that there are. It's not just about the results that you get from it. Um, yeah. Like the practical results. So, so you are you saying like when Jordan says uh, he won't come out and say he's a Christian, but he acts as though God exists because yeah. because yeah, yeah because by acting as though God exists, he's he believes that's yeah. I don't think that's enough at the end of the day. Um, I do think that you have to believe. You have to you have to have faith. Um, that's a huge part of it. You know, like you don't. You can say, you know, I'm living, living the principles, all that, and you mo- you might well be. Uh, you might 100% be living the most perfect Christian existence imaginable, but if you don't have faith, you're not, you know. Uh, that's, a, to my understanding, anyways. Yeah. Uh, acts alone, like, you know, you can't do, you know, there's a school of thought that you can just have faith, 
Uh, and once you've had the faith, you know, your actions don't really matter. You don't have to act it out. Um, and then there's the acts alone, which is like basically what I just described. Yep. Takes both. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so Martin, so Martin Luther, I believe, was the one that said, faith without works is dead. Was it Martin Luther? I think might, so. Might have been Calvin. One of those guys. One of those fellows. Faith without works is dead. So in like the, <clears throat> with the church we grew up in, it's really about faith. So it's, you're required to have faith, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's like they did encourage, you know, the churches that I went to when I was young, the people would do things for, they were very Christian, you know, they did, they acted it out, but that like wasn't, it was just like encouraged because it's like a nice thing to do. It's not like a part of it. It's not like that is your salvation. Right. The doing of it is, right. is what saves you. You know, uh, I've heard David Patrick Harry explain it, uh, that when you sin, you're like killing yourself. You're, you're, you are the energy of, of, of God. And when you sin, you're, you know, like killing that energy. And then when you do the acts, you are energizing yourself uh, and that you become more alive and more like God. So, Well, that's just one of those things like that's an experiment you need to have. You need to say, I'm just going to change my perspective and my behavior for a while and see if I how I feel, you know? Yep. And that's very hard to do, man. So I, I do think that that is one element of like the Jordan Peterson approach that the pragmatic does, it, it does help. It's not like it's completely worthless because I think if a person is living just like a, a miserable existence and they start living, they're like, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm really going, even though I don't believe, even though I don't have faith, I'm going to start living like a Christian. I think that their life will get better. Yep. Um, and then you start to believe. Yeah. That's a path. That's definitely a path. Yeah. Yep. For and sure. Yeah, people are skeptical and, you know, that's not a bad thing. So sometimes you have that's how you have to get into it. <clears throat> another another quote that goes along with this uh, Wheeler-DeWitt equation is by uh, Max Planck. Max Planck. Max Planck. Max Planck. Again, one of the OG quantum physicists. He said, the mind is the matrix of all matter. He says, there is no matter as such. The mind is the matrix of all matter. That's some hippy-dippy shit that, comes, that could come from a, a psychonaut, that could come from ancient in Indian philosophy. But it, no, it didn't. It came from Max Planck, the most sober scientist known to man. There is this point where the scientists start sounding like mystics, you know? Like you're no. basically a shaman. You know? <laughs> now, what do you make of that? Do you think that's a coincidence or do you think that's a convergence? Uh, I forget where I heard it. It was in some, I'm sure it was a crucible debate. Um, I heard someone, they were debating something about atheism. Um, but they said that um, they're debating a the, the decline of the West being linked to atheism or something like that. Um and I lost, I lost the thread. Uh, yeah, fucking hey, man. Well, it's a bad, bad episode for that. Yeah. It's early, and it's Daylight Savings Day. Yeah, maybe I'm more tired than I realize. Whilst we're talking about the Crucible, I'll just say Kyle sent me a, another Crucible to listen to, which is um, uh, Richie and Beckett having a conversation about government nationalism. I thought you were going to talk about Ryan versus Jim Bob, but go ahead. 
Oh yeah, we can talk about that if you want to. Yeah. But no, the reason I wanted to bring up this one is because I've listened to, uh, and I haven't listened to them all the way, but I've sampled pretty good chunks of three of those debates. And the first two I listened to, I had uh, kind of a similar feeling about. Like I felt like it was pretty one-sided and I wasn't going to watch somebody get beat up on for three hours. I wasn't going to watch the whole thing. And so I kind of t- just tapped out of both of those episodes. But then this last one, it's it was actually a good um, matchup, you know, on both sides. So that the conversation really seemed to be just bouncing back and forth. And uh, it was interesting. And you could see how both sides were trying to, you know, <laughs> were trying to poke holes and it make progress. But it was, it, anyway, the, it was a very different experience listening to this last one. And, uh, and so I don't know, I, th- I don't know what exactly makes a difference to me between the first two and this one, but that's what I'm pointing to. Like it was, it was interesting to me. It kept my attention. I didn't feel like, like I, on those first two episodes, I felt like I was watching somebody get beat up. And when they were already unconscious, just kept getting beat up. And I, and I'm the, I'm the kind of person that I'm, I am walking away, man. I don't want to watch this anymore. If that makes any sense. And this last episode wasn't like that. It, it was, it was, I liked it, man. I, I thought it was, more like that. I need to, I need to see more like that. Got it. If that That's makes any sense. Yeah. 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 I like that one a lot. Um, so when you say the other two, you're talking about Andrew versus the vegan fella. George Martin. George Martin. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Jim Bob versus Ryan. Jim Bob versus Ryan, which the topic of that one was like right up your alley. Are, are we God? Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay, I mean, so you, you said that you liked Ryan's uh, opening statement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, they give him like seven minutes to do an opening statement. And Ryan uh, was on the pro side of this argument. He believes we're all God. You know, everything is God. God. Yeah. And here's the thing about Ryan. He admits readily that he has no experience as a debater that he is a uh he works on a farm a family farm in canada so he's a blue collar guy he's fucking letter kenny he's basically letter kenny and but a smart guy and a guy that a guy that understood what he understood he he gets it he gets the whole mystical thing uh, but he couldn't really think, articulate it that well. You think Ryan's getting his mushrooms off of like cow patties? Yeah, he's a, he's a cow farmer. I I, I imagine he is. Yeah, I, I like to imagine. I like to imagine he is. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. he seemed like a smart guy, and he he he, did. he had prepared that he's intro. Not an idiot. No, yeah. no. And what he what he read in the intro sounded great. But then once his prepared writing was done, and Jim Bob starts asking him questions, it was it got very difficult very quickly. Yeah. Um, but he, I don't know if you noticed that uh, quote from the Bible that I read earlier about in, in God we live and move and have our being. Ryan quoted that same I didn't, that same passage. I didn't yeah, make that connection. Yep, in his intro he did. Yeah, I, I, when I saw that, that debate uh, was happening, I, I was like, I'm going to send that one over. That um, was a, the right choice. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm interested in that. Um, yeah, Jim Bob just kind of manhandled Ryan, though. Yeah, I so mean, like you know when. Ryan had his intro, and then it was time for Jim Bob to have his intro. <laughs> Jim Bob's like, "Let me add." Yeah, this guy. he was just like, you yeah. know, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forfeit my intro and go right at him. Yeah. And from that point on, it was a series of questions by Jim Bob. There's almost no questions from Ryan. It was yeah. At one point, Andrew intervenes and is like, you know, let's let uh, let's let Ryan okay. do some questioning here. Yeah. yeah. And did he did he look better when he started asking questions? Um. 
I don't think that he did a, a great job of like making his argument. I think, but I, like I said, I think that Jim Bob is just a better debater. Yeah. Regardless of whether you believe who you believe, I think that Jim Bob is just a more skilled debater. Sure. Um, but you once said to me that those conversations never go well for the people who take the mystical uh, side of the argument. And I saw generally don't. And I yeah. saw that play out with Ryan. And but I understand why too. It's not easy to talk about. Mm-hmm. Even if you're having like a very patient conversation, it's not easy to talk about. I can understand being in your seat, being frustrated by it because um, they're not easy things to talk about. Uh, and Ryan didn't do a good job of forcing Jim Bob to let him talk about them. Um, he's too nice. He's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. I also think though that. While I don't think that you are ever going to be able to understand God with logic and reason, I think that God exceeds our logic and reason mm-hmm. like very clearly. Um, I do think that using logic to like weed things out is is useful, and I think that's what Jim Bob was doing. Yes, um, yes, I agree. Yeah, I don't think that Jim Bob was like. Just trying to set up like rhetorical traps. Um, I, I don't think he no. was being bad faith. I think that Jim Bob was making honest arguments. Um, he was trying to get Ryan to agree with premises so that he could lead him to uh, why he's wrong. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like contradicting yeah. himself or yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that was one of those debates where I was I was actually particularly interested in the conversation. Are we God? And uh, you know, it was one of those things where. I, I was pretty much yelling in my head, like, say this, say that, don't say that, don't, don't do it that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I wish I, I could have been in his fucking you, ear. You want to debate Jim Bob? I could, I could have that conversation. Um, we, could, we could have that conversation again. Um, I, what, I, what I'm afraid of is the same thing will happen to me. I mean, I'm, I would do a better job than Ryan. There's no doubt in my mind I'll do a better job than Ryan. But um, what, what I'm afraid of is, it is difficult to talk about and it requires like how often do I tell a story to make a little point it happens all the time how often do I have to use an analogy to make a a simple point and it's like a lot to keep it's a lot to ask of the audience it's a lot to ask of the audience you know Uh, well I mean I think that people who are listening to to that to a debate uh, that's your audience that's your like your target audience you know um I do think that, you know, in a debate, sometimes someone might have to be like, you know, you're rambling, you know, uh, you got to like make this more concise, Yeah, exactly. which is hard. It's hard, it's, especially when you're talking about that. And it's, it's, it's full of paradox. And that's, that's the thing that I said to you is like, in the, in the very beginning of that debate, they shouldn't have had opening arguments. They should have just said, let's define our terms. If we're going to talk about being God, let's, let's decide and agree on what God means. Just have that conversation. You know, that is hard enough to have. Yeah. You know, I have that. I try to have that conversation a lot like online and it's so hard. Pe- yeah. People, I don't really understand it. Actually, people are so dug in to what they think God means. And if there's somebody who's written it off, like an atheist or has written it off as a, uh, you know, an idea that we use for psychological reasons, you know, and it doesn't really mean anything or for social control, um, I don't know where I was going. I lost my thread there. Golly. We're going to have to like title this episode something about losing a thread. I got one more thing. If I can find it, I'll read to you. Uh, This book is called 
The Joyous Cosmology by Alan Watts. And basically what it is is a series of his psychedelic experiences that he put into a kind of like a narrative form. So he tells you in the book that it's like many, many trips over a long period of time. But he puts them in the book like he compiles them all down and makes it out like it's all happening over the course of one day. And like the chapters will start like um, I went out to the garden and then this magical thing happened to me. Or I, I came back inside and started talking to the people in the house and this magical thing happened to me. And uh, it's pretty interesting. I really like um, reading people's uh, trip accounts and... Uh, trip accounts. Yeah, tri- trip accounts and uh, especially the like ones that are powerful and mystical. I like to to listen to that. So like um, William James did a bunch of, of, uh, of that in his book. Um, Maurice Buck compiled a whole bunch of those from history including like relatively modern people like poets and and you know people that you would that you would recognize their names um, but also uh, going back into ancient ancient times and he, just hearing the similarities between what people talk about um, you know o- over the course of time it's clear that there, there's some human experience that's possible to have that some people have and all these people have are talking about it in similar ways mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what Alan Watts does in this book, and he's you 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 know you know Alan Watts has a way of talking that's that's nice. Yeah. Um, so let me see if I can find. Got a lot of highlight yeah, highlighting the in there. Fluorescent yellow. Yep. Um, that is one reason that I like physical copies you know like i listen to a lot of audiobooks and finding a quote in an audiobook is fucking hard yeah absolutely okay here we go all right he says this is just a passage from the book he says it is this vivid realization of the reciprocity of will and world active and passive inside and outside self and not self which evokes the aspect of these experiences that is most puzzling, the strange and seemingly unholy conviction that I am God. In Western culture, this sensation is seen as the very signature of insanity. But in India, it is simply a matter of course that the deepest center of man, Atman, and the deepest center of the universe, Brahman. Why not? Surely a continuous view of the world is more whole, more holy, more healthy than one in which there is a yawning emptiness between the cause and its effects. Obviously, the I, which is God, is not the ego. So, when, I just thought when he said, when he said, uh, uh, that's that strange and eerie realization comes upon you that I am God. And I was just like smiling ear to ear. I'm like, it's not just me. It's not just me, it's man. It's me and Alan Watts. <laughs> it's me and Alan Watts. And the intro to this book was done by um, Dennis Leary and... Uh, and uh, Richard Albert. Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary. <laughs> Timothy Leary, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> cool yeah, with this Dennis Leary, yeah. Um, uh, what'd you think? Some heavy shit, man. I, uh... I, so he said that some kind of... Something about there being a gap between... Cause uh, and effect, yes. Uh, I don't know... I don't, I don't know if you have to believe that everything is God to believe that there's not that gap. Um, you know, I think that there might be other ways that 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 you 
you know, like having saying that there's a gap that that separation there's like a negative implication, you know, that uh, he's clearly like intending. Yeah. Um, and I think that you can get around that without there necessarily being um, everything being the same thing. Yeah, I think that's one of those paradoxes um, that if if everything is one, like the mystical people say, then how can there be differences? You know, how can there be differences? everything is one it's all an illusion and I think from a Christian perspective I think the answer to that is is in the Bible it's in Genesis it's in the creation story when when everything is separated from from the beginning you know in the beginning everything is separated the uh, you know the light from the darkness the the sky from the firmament the woman from man everything is separated from something, everything's separated from something, like it was once one thing, and everything gets separated off from it. So there is, even in the Bible, a separation of God from God, a separation within, a cleavage within God. And that cleavage is the distance that allows you to, it's the veil of perception. It's the, it's the distance necessary that allows God to experience itself, to look across the dissociative boundary, as Bernardo would say. Uh, to look across that cleavage and see that's the thing that I am, but now you can, but now you can experience it. You can recognize it, and you couldn't when you were one. So some, some symbolically, some idea of separation is critical in creation. Um, I think that's interesting. I don't know what it means. I don't know if that separation is real. I don't know if that separation is space and time, or if it's some kind of dissociative boundary. You know, one idea that I've been playing with is this idea of form being that that separation. I, t- I told you this before. It's like, yeah, you know, my, my wife, she she made cookies yesterday. It's like you, you put the dough down, and then you take your little form, and you cut out all your cookies. And Plato talks about form like that in this very mystical you can also way. You do that with Plato. <laughs> you fuck. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um I wouldn't recommend eating those cookies, though. Yeah, not good. Uh-uh. It reminds me of uh, an episode of The Simpsons where um, uh, the cop, Chief Wiggum, his son, who's, I can't remember his name, he's, he's, uh, he's a couple of uh, screws uh, short of a, oh, I don't know what the expression is, he's a dumb kid, and, and he gives his dad something that he made to eat, and his dad takes a bite out of the sandwich, and he's like, crunch, 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 and he, he looks up at his dad, and he goes, can you taste the thumbtacks? <laughs> Uh, where was I? Where was I before I got into that? Fuck. Um, you were talking about well, oh, cutting the the cookie yes, dough. Yes, yes. So something about form being the thing that separates God from itself, and this is what happens in the Bible too. When when man is created, he, he's created as a clay form, you know, and a form has boundaries. A form has edges. A form is separate from everything else. That's what makes it a form. It's a particular distinction. Right, and whatever that is, uh, you know, Plato thought was very mystical. He thought forms were things that existed in your mind or in the noumenal realm, in the noose. That's what he called it, in the logos, actually. The noose is what yeah. he said. The noose, yeah. That's a that's something from Eastern Orthodox. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really understand the difference between noose and logos exactly. So, f- again, I don't know, um, uh, but from my understanding, the noose is. It, it, 
like a trans a, a word translation is the eye of the soul or something like that. Oh, that's good. Um, and it is this part of you, this part of your psyche or your soul that is the part that connects with the divine. Mm. So th- that's interesting to me. The idea that there are parts of your soul, you know? Oh yeah. Like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I'm skeptical of it. Yeah. But, but we've talked about that before, like from the, the ancient Egyptian symbolism, because in Egypt, the soul had all kinds of different parts. The Ka and the Ba are just two of them that I happen to know. Yeah. But one of them is associated with your personality, and one of them is associated with like the immortal animating spirit, and they all mean something different. And when you die, only, only part of that, there's, I don't know, the, the, the hieroglyph has wings. I think it's like a face with wings. That part of you, your soul, gets to go to heaven. But the rest of you decays. Yeah. It's a very kind of Christian-sounding concept, honestly. You know, one thing that's I think is interesting since I've been reading the Bible is that I'll read a, a passage of it, and between me reading it and my next reading of the Bible, I'll see things that like that applies to, or mm. it will like, will like pop up in different weird ways. And uh, I've been reading the Gospel of Luke uh, for our Bible study, and uh, the I, I just finished chapter 5, and at the end of that, they're talking about fasting. Um, someone comes up to Jesus, and he's like, you know, John the Baptist's disciples fast, all the Pharisees and their disciples fast. Uh, why don't your followers fast? And um, he, his answer was that, uh, you know the way that Jesus talked. Uh, he said, you, the bride, the, you can't convince the friends of the bridegroom to fast while he's with them. Um, mm. In that, you know, I don't, like a, a bridegroom implies a wedding and a wedding implies a celebration. And you can't, you know, you can't like expect, it, it, basically Christ being with them. It was like a joyous, uh, you're not going to fast during that. You don't need to. Yeah. Uh, but when he's, he says that like, uh, when the bridegroom is gone, then when that's when you fast. Mm. Uh, and the point of that is that for you to connect with the Holy spirit, uh, you know, whatever you conceptualize that as that the noose, uh, fast doing things like fasting and things like that. It's like it needs to be cleaned. It needs to be, like, reborn. It needs to be, um, I don't know what the the best word for it is. Um, But it needs to be, like, it can be, like, made more receptive to to connecting with Mm -hmm. the divine. Um, And at the end of Luke 5, Jesus gives the the parable of the old wineskins. And you, you don't put new wine into old like old dirty like you wouldn't pour like a delicious drink into a, a dirty cup like right. you know yeah um it, it would like pollute it you need you need something new you need to be born again yeah exactly and, and they couldn't be before you know before he makes the ultimate sacrifice they couldn't be you know the the process wasn't there so there was no need for them to fast yeah what i, I mean i've heard people who fast say and I'm sure this is biblical because they always say it the same way, that you fast in order to come closer to God, to bring yourself closer to God. Um, And you know what strikes me as interesting with that is that um, starvation is one avenue towards um, altered states of consciousness. You could have a psychedelic experience through fasting. It's 
possible. Lots of monks did it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And to the idea that you, you could say, I'm not going to eat in order to bring myself close to God, and that might actually lead to a mystical experience, I think that's pretty interesting, man. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too. I also think it's interesting, and I think if there's like some kind of connection to psychedelics with this as well. Um, a lot of times, I, I've heard quite a few Orthodox people say, if you're new in, in the faith, um, don't don't bother fasting like that's you're not you don't need to be doing that yet mm. you're probably not ready to be doing that yet and the idea again to the best of my understanding is that putting yourself in that state where you're open to god makes you open to other things too um mm. and you know you have to have the discernment uh that maybe you don't have in the beginning of your faith. Uh, and I think that, like I said, the connection with psychedelics too, I think that we've talked about uh, a lot of people are just of the opinion that any kind of epiphany you have on psychedelics is going to be good or, you know, um, true. I don't think that's true. I think that uh, you can get bad shit from that too. And it, it, you might get bad shit that seems like good shit, you know, you might get uh, an idea that, like, you just, with all of your rationality, um, is like, I, I think that this is all good, but maybe it's not, you know? Yeah, maybe it's not. I had something there, man. I lost it again. Don't fast if you're not ready. <laughs> Don't fast if you're not ready. Don't take psychedelics if you're not ready. Yeah. So the idea of being not ready is interesting. Uh, oh, that's right. You, you said open yourself up to other things. That's what it was. So there's this implication in what you're saying that other things means that there are spiritual influences that aren't just good. That it's, you're not just opening yourself up to God, but maybe something Powers bad. Powers and principalities. Yeah, and some of them maybe are bad. Um, so, so something about that I was gonna I was gonna latch on to. Um, I know that's. Uh... A hard one for you still, I think. You know, the idea that there's, like, negative forces. Yeah. In some way, you know, I think that in some way, in other ways, you are, you do kind of are on that page. I just don't think that the forces are external. That's the difference. Uh, you know, I believe they exist. I just don't think they're external. You brought up the idea of um, the soul. It's interesting to consider the soul being made of pieces. Mm. But it's also interesting to think of your psychology your yourself to be made, made of different pieces and uh, we talk about that you know in psychology all the time where we we say that uh, you know you've got um, different drives different archetypes different instincts and and, uh, and sometimes they compete with one another <laughs> jeez my daughter's coming down the steps and I can hear her talking um <laughs> uh Shit, man, that that ruined my that ruined my flow there. Um, shit, powers and principalities, opening yourself up to dark forces. Oh, oh, I know that that's what it was. It was a uh, David Patrick Harry. He said something about along these lines, and I, I did a little Petersonian like like sleight of hand so that I could so that I could accept it. So David Patrick Harry was talking about psychedelics, you know, having their cons, and. Uh, he said that um, it opens you up to spiritual possession. That's that's what he said. Oh, God. 
It opens you up to spiritual possession. And that's one of those ideas, spiritual possession, that I would normally like just kind of scoff at, spiritual possession. Um, all, but there's a way that I think that that uh, idea of spiritual possession, it makes sense. <laughs> oh, God. Um we might have to wrap this one up. Yeah, man. we might have to. <laughs> um, spiritual possession. So, uh, oh, Jesus. Oh, David Patrick Harry. So he um, so he said, uh, you know, like this in the same way you did, that you open yourself up to like demonic forces and they're external and, you know, that's dangerous. And when you do psychedelics, you have to be careful with what you're asking for, something like that. Um, and then I, I thought about that for a while and I thought and thought and thought about that. Like this is the Peters, Petersonian bait and switch. I thought, well, there there are things like addiction that come along with psychedelics. Um, I'm not saying that psychedelics are particularly addictive, but you but you do find yourself chasing a certain dragon. You know, you wanna you wanna have a certain experience. And um, oh, this is killing me. Uh, and it, it also is a distraction, and it can be an obsession. I mean, I think it's fair to say for me for a while it was an obsession. I think that's fair. Um, and that keeps you from doing other things. It keeps you from maybe being productive, maybe making progress somehow, you know, psychologically, spiritually. Um, and those, you could say, those forces are destructive. They're like demons, you know, addiction, obsession. They are, you know. I just have, a, I just can't really imagine those forces external to myself. I think they're endogenous. You know, yeah, part of being a human, one of those pieces of our soul or pieces of our psyche that is the adversary. It's contrary to you. I think that there is an aspect of it that is inherent to being human. Um, I, I think that the external forces that I do believe in um, play on your inherent you know, uh, the things that are inherent to you. They try to, like, push you towards those things. Sorry, man. I just She's playing oh, with toys yeah, out there, yeah, for Christ's sake. <laughs> if you hear the Grinch song, Kali. It's an invasion. Yeah. <laughs> Kids. Children. Oh, fuck. What do you want to do here, Kyle? It's up to you, man. Um, shit. All right. Well, we'll just try. Let me. I send my wife a text message. Just carry this on. Carry, carry on, my wayward son. Um, I, well, I'm curious to see how much we can pick up of this this Grinch music. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that. Do you see that? It's not an old video now, but during, uh, I think it was during COVID when the businessman is like doing a news interview and he's in a suit and tie and he's, and his kid, oh, yeah, his kid yeah, opens yeah, the door and comes <laughs> in and like crawls and pulls the kid out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she does. There was two kids. There was one that walks in and one in a, in a walker and like the, the wife comes in and on her hands and knees and grabs the kid. Um, so did you see, uh, just to change the subject here, did you see that Iran and um, Saudi Arabia have reached some kind of some kind of agreement where they're going to start being cooperative with one another again. I think I, I think I saw a headline like that was uh, was China involved in that. I don't I don't know. 
So, um, so that's interesting. I didn't see anything about China, but you say you say um, Iran and, and Saudi. Arabia. Saudi. Okay, so that's like the heart of Sunni Islam and the heart of Shia Islam. That's kind of interesting. Yep. What, what do you make of it? I don't know what to make of it. Um, I'm going to have to look into it more. I didn't really. Uh, I just kind of saw it this morning, so I didn't really have time to look into it. I was just kind of scanning headlines, you know. Um, but it's definitely interesting. I know that. Uh, the conflict between Sunni and Shia and Iran and Saudi Arabia has something to do with the war in Yemen, why mm. we're in Yemen. So that's good. Uh, hopefully we can stop doing that. Um, it's not like my strongest priority like it used to be a few years ago. I mean, I still think it's terrible. Yeah. Um, but I. But if we can put it, if that puts an end to that, that's great. Yeah. You know? I know woefully, woefully little about geopolitics and history in the Middle East. Yeah. I know woefully little about it in in Southeast Asia in particular, but Asia in general. I'm an ignorant bastard, Kyle. I'm less ignorant than I used to be. Yeah. Pretty much every day, so yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's still a lot that I don't know. I mean. So what's what's next on the exploration list then for you? Just... Continuing, continuing continuing with the orthodoxy yeah so uh, i mean i want to understand it better um you know i, I was kind of saying that one of the things that i like about orthodoxy is it's like complete you know yeah. um and i just you know i want to and it all it's it's complete there's like different elements of it and they all like feed into each other it's like makes this one cohesive like unit of yeah. of belief and action and um so you know just like do increasing my understanding so that i can better so that i can act better and then that acting better will increase my you know like like the mystic element element of it yeah um so yeah, yeah that, just that, continuing that, that thing you said about um about your church experience missing something yeah I hadn't really thought about it that way. I hadn't put it that way to myself. But when you said that, that resonated with me. I'm like, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I felt. So if you're, if anybody listening out there uh, grew up, you know, like we did, you know, grew up in the United States in a Christian, you know, situation, whether you're religious, particularly religious or not, maybe you went to church every Sunday, maybe you went to church just on the holidays, doesn't really matter. You had that sort of upbringing and you sat through your sermons and you did your, you know, whatever, Bible study or Sunday school or whatever, and you came back from that as an adult thinking it was a very little value and you know it wasn't like it seemed to be missing something something that would make it sacred or holy or something something that would make it special you know it's missing something maybe yeah. it, maybe it's missing whatever it is that put that lights a fire under you that makes you want to you know it's missing that for sure it's missing something right um i think that um you remember the church that i went to with you and your ex-wife Yes. Um, a few times. That church is, I would say, a pretty good comparison to a lot of the churches that I went to. Um, and that kind of a church is, people go to it dutifully, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but I feel, and I, I think that to some level, even with going to an Orthodox church, you're going to have those days where it's like, man, I don't really want to go. You know, I'd much rather just stay home, stay in bed, sure. sleep in. Yep. Um, but so I, I think that that element's still going to be there. But with Orthodoxy, once you get in there, 
like I, going to the ch- types of churches that I went to, like if you have one of those mornings and you go, you know, you're going to be like cranky and not really probably open to the message. And right. Yeah. Uh, but with the Orthodox, it's like so much more engaging and uh, like the experience is, yeah, it's just engaging. Like whereas with the old type of church, that I went to, you go there, you sit on the wooden pew, you stand up, you sit down to say, you know, you stand up to sing, you sit down. Yep. Uh, the, the the preacher gives like a an hour long sermon, um, may or may not be good. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just like it, it, it doesn't do anything for me. Yep. You know, um, and even though. I've only been to one Orthodox liturgy, so it's not like I have tons of experience, but the one that I went to, I couldn't even understand what they were saying. I didn't even speak the language. But it's just so obvious that there's something happening, you know, that uh, it's the people there are participating in something. Yeah. They're not going there to sit on a pew and, you know, do their duty. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, we're like we we're talking about the, the acting they're they're going that that's a big part of it um you know you know how like one of the tactics teachers will do in school if you're not paying attention or if if you know it's getting too noisy in the classroom uh teachers will ask a question of somebody who's not paying attention because they right they want to bring to your attention that you're not paying attention they also want to make an example out of you you know so it's like you don't know the answer you don't even know the question ha 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 i think that's something that i see in I don't, I don't know if it's in orthodoxy. I imagine it is, but I see it in Catholicism where you brought up participation. So you're in church, and in Catholicism, at some point, when the, when the priest says a certain thing, it's a cue for the, for the congregation to say their part. Yeah. They have to actually listen. They have, they have to participate. Yeah. And it's like, like I said, like when the teacher asks the fucking troublemaker a question. It's like, are you paying attention? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do they do that in orthodoxy? Oh, there are definitely times where, again, I have no idea what they're saying, but they say something and the the people say something or they, yeah. you know, cross themselves. Yeah, exactly. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the whole... I would say that going to an Orthodox liturgy is an experience. Um, whereas going to a Protestant church, it's like something to do, you know? It's... yeah. And maybe it's a good, maybe it's, maybe going to a Protestant church is better than going to a bar, you know, Um, but I don't think that you're getting the fullness of what is available to you. Yeah. Because what's available to you is like some mind blowing stuff. Um, Yeah. Listen, I I think that you're really onto something there in this, with the sense that um, church at least in this country that I've been exposed to, is missing something. And what it's missing might be available in orthodoxy, at least more so than anything else I've seen so far. So there's some something that interests me about it. And I think what my next my next area is going to be is going to be um, reading some of those Christian mystics that fall un- under this tradition, just because I want to hear what they said. And um, I told you yesterday I bought a book, and I couldn't remember the name of it. It's called um, Finite and Eternal Being. It's a paperback book that's up there, and it was expensive. And, you you know, you don't expect to spend uh, that kind of money on a paperback book, but it's because it wasn't reprinted, and it's rare. And I heard about the lady. Her name is Stein, something Stein. 
she was a obviously a Jew, a Jew and became a Catholic nun. One of the good ones. <laughs> and, and she's got and she's and she's very uh, she's very mystical. This lady. So I'm very curious about it. I, that's going to be maybe the first one that I dig into, and then after that, uh, like Meister Eckhart, John of the Cross. There's there's a whole uh, there's a whole bunch of them in the Christian mystic tradition. There's a bunch of them that aren't Christian, like Jacob Bohm and like uh, yeah. There's <laughs> oh no, they're not. Uh, I thought maybe you meant that like they were Christian and they got like discommunicated. Oh like no, they started getting a little too crazy. No, no, no. These were like mystics that weren't explicitly religious, like Christian. Gotcha. Um, but there's a whole bunch of them. Um, and I just, I'm very curious to see how this mystical experience that I had in psychedelic uh, circumstances, how it happens in non-psychedelic circumstances, and also how um, they interpret it from a Christian framework. How do they interpret this experience that I like to talk about. But I, from my perspective, it's not explicitly Christian, although it has, it has made me reconsider some... Well, it has made me reconsider the person of Jesus. Like, I, I don't know like how much... <laughs> I'm looking at the clock, how much we want to get into this. I uh, never had any trouble um, believing in God, and I never, I never had any period of time where I was an atheist. But if you asked me, do I believe Jesus is the Son of God? I've never been I've never been anywhere close to as certain about that as that God exists. Never been an atheist. You couldn't budge me on it if you tried. I think it's logically impossible that that there's no such thing as God. And I define God in a very unique way, and I've had trouble with that. But I've never been tempted to think there is no God. Never, not once, man, not once. But if you ask me, do I believe Jesus is the Son of God? I'm like. What does that even mean? I mean, I feel blasphemous to say no. So that's why I just don't want to say no to that. But I've had periods in my life where I've been very skeptical about that and and been challenged by that. Why do you feel bad about it? Because of the because I was because I was raised in a household where all of the people okay, that so I love and respect believe it, and I to say that I don't believe it seems disrespectful and it seems ungrateful and it seems like all kinds of bad things. So it's like some Nietzschean shit where you got all these things hanging on you. and Or, or some Freudian shit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You don't feel like that? Like a like some kind of guilt burning in your soul? It's like in, it's like in the background. You don't really notice it too much. But when you say, but when you say something blasphemous, no. there's just some little thing. No, we're very different people. Really? Yeah. When I was, um, <laughs> an, you know, an atheist, materialist, nihilist... I would say shit like that all the time. Like, I had no problem with it at all. Um, now I have a problem with it because I, I believe, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the thing that got me able to reconsider Jesus as a spiritually significant idea is is partly the um, becoming God experience, because that's what Jesus is supposed to represent, and also Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson telling the the biblical stories and the Christian story in a way that in a way that meant more than just this this person represents your path to heaven you know it's like this is your ticket yeah you know that's how they which is the truth um, but it's more complicated than that you know yeah it it needs to be more complicated it has to be yeah. it's like pe- people say Christians say that the sacrifice of Jesus is your free ticket to eternity. All you have to do is accept it. It comes easy. 
you know? And I feel like it shouldn't come easy, you know? It needs to be earned. Yeah. You know? There's one thing I hear a lot of Orthodox people talk about, and it's a word that I'm familiar with from libertarian shit, praxis. Yeah. Um, and it's just the same thing. It's the, the action. It's the doing. It's not, you don't, you don't like change your mind and then don't change anything else about your life and you're good, you know, like you have to do it. You have to. Do you think this emphasis of, on doing, because I think both you and I are having a little bit of that, like uh, coming into focus. When I told you that the mystical experience that I had most last told me I have to see, I have to try to see the world as I see the psychedelic, you know, magic. I have to see that in the world. Yep. And it's like, it seems to be pulling me <coughs> into action. Yep. And that's what you see. And I wonder, do you think that has to do with like our age? Do you, do you think this is the era of our, we've, 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 we've developed certain skills and maturities and now we have to act? I don't think, I mean, what am I trying to say? I don't think that that is the reason why it's important. It's not like it, it's switched on and it's important now because we're getting older. I think it's always a, a key to the experience, yep. whether you're a you know a child or whether you're an old man. The the acting out of the faith that is always important. But I think maybe it's more noticeable to us because we're at a certain time period. Yeah, like I just I was just thinking about like that messianic people. People say that like when kids are like let's say early in college years they're they're in this messianic phase where they want to they want to change the world you know and it's like that natural psychological stage to be in where you think you want to you know clean your room bucko yeah clean your room bucko yeah yeah it's like what does that even mean you know it's like you've got these these conflicting ideas and it's just like it's a simple thing it's like no the hell it's not it's my Jordan Peterson. No, no, it's bloody not. No, it's bloody not. And you, ha you have to move your fingers more. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't yeah. move his fingers too. Oh boy! You got a serpent on the hill. <laughs> no, he's like kind of going Irish a little bit. Yeah. So I, uh, I think it's fair to say I, I, that I was obsessed with Jordan Peterson for a while. I'm, I'm happy that I'm. I don't feel quite the same way. Oh yeah. So let's talk about Jordan Peterson. All right. That fucking video, dude. Jordan Peterson is losing it. He's like having a moment. Uh Chris sent me this video. It was like a shocking video. It was a funny a funny thing to open my phone and see. Uh and it's this video that Jordan Peterson quote tweeted and he said that like crazy stuff's going on in China, man. <laughs> and it's this video of a bunch of fat dudes laying in like a bed in a hospital looking setting getting whacked off by some kind of uh dystopian um brave new world machine and uh jordan peterson retweets this like it's something that's really going on in china it's clearly porn it's clearly like some kind of fetish porn and he says it says that it's in china all of the dudes in the video are fat and they've got like decent sized penises so it's not fucking china like Jordan's losing it, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was like uh, he just didn't get a lot of sleep that night. Like we're having a uh, we're having an issue today, being retarded. Yeah. Uh, I, I, listen, I don't know, but if I came across that video without context, I don't know how you make heads or tails of it, man. I, I don't think I would have thought you, that was you, porn. 
Yeah. I mean, it c- clearly could be, could be, but I, I, I don't have any fucking you know, idea what that is. You're not, you're not that much of an internet dude. You no. Know? Uh-uh. So that's like, that's the difference. It's like I, I internet a lot, and I'm like, that's not fucking real. That's not a, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, jo- I, I, you bringing up Jordan Peterson, just put really. I cannot believe he shared that. I'm almost like, is he joking? I have no idea, man. But I still love Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah, I still love Jordan Peterson, too. Um, I don't like his new stuff as much as his old stuff. Um, but I don't know if that's fair either. I think that I had like a, I had like a spark when, when, Jordan, when I was introduced to, to Jordan Peterson that took me on this like journey of knowledge. And I'm really grateful for it because if it wasn't for him, I never would have got into Jung. I never would have read Neumann. And that stuff has been... Or any of the uh, Jungian stuff that I like, the von Franz and the Edinger and all that. I wouldn't have read any of that if it wasn't for Jordan. And that stuff has been super, super important for me. Like I've learned so much about myself and about like my own philosophy. I've developed it so much more because I had that experience. And Jordan is the one that made that, you know, attractive to me. Yeah, I'll, I will be forever grateful for Jordan. But he, you know, he, if he goes off the rocker one day, so be it. You know, happens. I still think it happens. I man. still defend him too. I, I, especially because so many people that criticize Jordan Peterson are libs that don't have any fucking idea what he what he says or yeah. means. I like hearing. I like hearing criticisms of anyone from the right, especially people who are, you know, ostensibly right wing. To hear them criticized from the right, yeah, I, I'm always a big fan of that kind of stuff. Criticized from the right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think there needs to be more of that. It just seems like this. It, it it's been so one sided, you know, for so long. The political conversation. A lot of criticism of Jordan Peterson from the right is has a lot to do with what I was talking about earlier. The um, the like strictly pragmatic interpretation of Christianity. Um, but but you can't argue with the fact that it made an impression on both of us. Yeah, I don't think it's about arguing that it doesn't make an impression or it's like the end. You know, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, you're not getting... It's like we're talking about with faith and works and you're missing something, you know. There is a critical element of the belief system that you are like following that you're not getting. Um, And that was like where I, I talked about this in that podcast I did with Jason from the two bit podcast that that's where I was for like a couple years. It's like, I know that Christian morality is the morality that I want to follow, that I want the society that I live in to follow. Um, and I can like go about behaving in that way to the best of my ability. But if I'm missing the keystone of the whole thing, it's not, doesn't matter. Yeah. So I would, I would love to, to explore that. I don't oh, think we, we don't, like we don't, hour. we don't have time to explore that because I would like to know what you would point to to say is missing from, let's say, a strictly like psychological interpretation of um, Christian morality and the Christian stories. Um, what do you think is really missing there? If you, if you are only considering it to be like an, like an analogy or a, or a, you know, it has a psychological meaning, but only a story. You know, like what are you? What are you really missing? Um, especially because Jordan, Jordan, you can't get around God in Jordan's philosophy. You know, you, you can't. Um, you you're, you can get around Jesus, but you go ahead. But you can't get around God. I don't think you're missing. 
the first thing that I think that you're missing is you're missing faith. Uh, you're still trying to reason everything and it has to be, I have to be able to understand it. I have to be able to make sense of it. You don't. Um, there's some stuff that you're never going to be able to. Yep. You know, a, a lot of the stuff that uh, like you you would be debating in this theoretical debate with Jim Bob or that Ryan was with, you know, a lot of that stuff, you have to take it on faith, you know. Um, I just don't think that you're going to be able to to weigh and measure and and even reason it out, like use logic and reason. You're not capable. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that at the heart of Jordan Jordan's philosophy is two things: chaos and order. Mm. The unknowable is chaos, and that's that's really the most important part. That's where order comes from. So in Jordan's in Jordan's system in his model, you 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 do have the unknowable. You know the the unknowable becomes the the unknown becomes the known. You got you have this transformation happening in in, in reality. You but you do have this unknowable part that is like what we talk about when we talk about deep religious ideas. When we, when we talk about God, for instance, the unknowable, the unexperienceable, that which is at the top of the hierarchy. Um, I think that's a religious idea, and Jordan will say it's a religious idea. You, you can't get around it. Um, that's not a practical idea, necessarily, that you have to contend with chaos, and that that's a real thing. It's a real thing psychologically, and it's a real thing in the world. You know? I guess, yeah. You know, you can call that pragmatic or practical, but it's not. It's It's religious. That's a religious thing. And a lot, so much of that is, you know, so much of this talk about the unconscious, you know. Um, there's no explanation for that, that that doesn't border on the religious. That there's a source of knowledge and a source of being that is invisible and, un, and you carry it with you. The unconscious that you carry with you, it's a part of you, but you don't have access to it. And it has knowledge that you don't have. And it, and it knows what you need and it, it you know, to progress psychologically it's like you got god built in in this in this scenario we call it the unconscious it's like a different word yeah doesn't mean it's not spirit doesn't mean it's not religion i don't know i i definitely see what you're saying but i do think that there is just a way of conceptualizing when you're thinking through that kind of i don't know jordan petersonian interpretation that it's like this is all This is all um, uh, an aspect, a creation of my mind, and I don't believe that that's the truth. And I think that you have, I think that there has to be the belief of that, and the the faith in that is, I think, uh, one of the the big differences. You know. Yeah, that's an interesting framing. I would say that I don't know that Jordan would say this, but I would say that what you mean by mind, Jordan would would might. Be comfortable calling God. So, yeah, if everything is, I don't think Jordan is an idealist or anything. So, it's but that's kinda, the thing that like gets down to the heart of like the the that debate with Ryan and Jim Bob and the, you know the separation that you and I have is that I don't believe that everything is God in like the complete way that you and Ryan do. Um, I do think that there is an element of God uh, to all of creation. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain that. That's like one of those things that. 
I'm happy to think about, but I don't think I'll ever really understand. Yeah, yeah no, and that's one of those paradoxes that come about when you when you have these sorts of conversations. I don't know how well you could ha- you could talk about them in a debate form, but you can't avoid them. I, f- I forget where I heard this. I th- it was probably David Patrick Harry. I listened to a lot of that guy. Um, but he was talking about Jordan Peterson, and he was saying that uh, I think he was talking to Jonathan Pajot and uh, like Jordan Peterson was saying, you know, like I want to be, I want to believe, like the, the, the what I was just saying, like that there, it's not all just um, in your mind or God, you know, however he wants to define that. But like, so he doesn't clearly, he does, he like clearly doesn't believe. I don't know. The externality, uh, you know, like the uh, the externality of God or, or something like that, you know, uh, like I don't think he believes li- that Christ literally was made flesh. It was the Logos made flesh. Um, and, I, you know, he's saying to Jonathan Peugeot, I want to be able to believe that, but I can't. But I want to. And like, like he's kind of like emotional about it. Like, yeah. I want to be able to believe it. And it's like, yeah, you want to be able to believe it because it, it has to on some level. You know, for all of the things that you value to like really matter, you have to actually believe it. And that's the faith component. That's the faith aspect of it. So I agree with you there. I follow you. I think that somebody who like gets emotional and says what Jordan said in that example, that they want to believe it. That's somebody that's on the precipice of faith that that hasn't taken the leap, maybe, but knows that that's all that's left to do. Um, So if, if Jordan's ideas and and whatever brought him to that point, I think they're good. I think they're, I think they're good. Anybody who's gets to the point that Jordan's at where he says, I want to believe. And you know, I don't know what's stopping me. You're at that decision point. It's not easy to get to that point, you know? So if, if Jordan's ideas got him to that point and help, help others to get to that point, I think that's good. It's just a matter of taking the leap. Some people will, some people won't, you know? I think the reason Jordan won't or maybe won't admit to it is because he's been an academic for so long. He's He needs to be taken seriously. And in his world, the only way to be taken seriously is to, to not... be bro. Basically. Yeah. You can't, you can't talk a certain way about, you know, spirituality. You can't. You have to... Instead, you have to talk about it like psychology. You have to talk about it like narrative. You know? And that's what he does. That's exactly what he does. Yeah. I would... I'd like to like have a private conversation with Jordan. Be like, what? You, what's really going on? Uh, I dude? would love to. Yeah, I have a beer with you, Jordan. He doesn't drink beer, but I'll have a keto beer with. I'll have a. I'll have a carnivore have beer a with steak you. With you, bro. I'll drink deer blood with you, Jordan. Blind up a steak. <laughs> All right, you wrapping it up? I guess so. Yeah. All right. Hey, um, oh. don't. Uh, we got to start. Damn! Like and subscribe, you guys. Like, subscribe, <laughs> comment, follow us on Twitter. All of that good shit. Tell all your friends. Yeah, man. Love you. Bye. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along it's with us. One. I know, I know. It's not easy work. It's a rough. One thinking it's hard and full of uncertainties but i'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze see what i did there let's find out together in the next episode